0: So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. They're all here, the divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me, I'm David Goldberg. These are the Luminaries. This time, I'm joined by the writer, performer, and vessel of queer consciousness, Derek Smith. We talk about his journey to New York, the performers who influenced him, and the fall of straight civilization. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Derek Smith, welcome back to The Luminaries. I've wanted you here for a long time, so I'm very glad you're here. Oh and it seems God. like you're here at a very auspicious transition period. And yeah. And the world is about to see a lot more of you, I think. Yes.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, I just ended... Uh four and a half years at a full-time job and now I get to step back into New York as a meandering New Yorker.
0: A meandering faggot. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of that, listen, what you have more than anyone in the world, I feel like living in New York, you're constantly discovering new things. That's why it's the best place on earth is there's always a milieu or a scene or an artist that I should have known my whole life that I'm just discovering now at age 29 but every single time I discover someone um, and I ask you, have you heard of this person, you, like, you, like, sit me down and you're like, okay, honey. Okay.
1: So we were so we were <laughs> I just have to say this, like, because we have a photo of this moment. But we were in Fire Island a few weeks ago, and you were, like, you On were, like, mushrooms. Oh, On mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Cause both of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, you... Out of nowhere, we're like, "Oh my god!" I was at this performance last night, and there was this incredible singer. Have you heard of Molly Pope? And I like did a (laughs) lap mentally, and I had to like take a gigantic breath and just and and just reset myself. And there's a photo of you looking (laughs) hot and angelic and perfect, and me like just gesticulating like lecturing about Molly Pope for 15 minutes and we might as well not even be in
0: Fire <laughs> Island we're right. truly like in the salon yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly and it's
0: you might as well be smoking a cigarette oh like cause God, yeah, you are just extenders. like yeah. yeah totally and that but that has always been the experience where you're like nowhere, please <laughs> and it's not from like a snobby competitive place it's just this thing of where you're like I have loved this person for a decade I have watched every extant YouTube clip I have done all the re- like I love this and person and I hope
1: that it's I hope that it's like comes always. off as, as just like I am obsessed with what they bring to the table it's real. and what they've done because there were so many people who, you know, um, at a really, like, strange and transitional moment of my life between, like, being at home and then, like, college and moving to New York, that I found all of these insane people who I would call, like, my luminaries, my my mm. people, um, who's, who I was able to be like, God, if there is an audience for that, then, like... I have the world open to me, and like, and I can. There's so much more I can do. It. It was so mind-expanding.
0: Yeah, I guess I'd like to know, like, what was that critical period, and who were those first ones that you were discovering? Totally.
1: Um, So, like, um, I grew up in the Bay Area in California um, to pretty like religious folks, Um, and there was like a period. I was constantly like. Um, trying to please them and, like, suppress, I think, like, my faggotry. Um, and, uh, like, at one point, like, when I was in... Up until, like, freshman year of high school, I, like, wanted to be a youth pastor. I was, like, so into the idea of wow. that when, like, actually what I wanted was just, like, attention and, like, to be doing shows, you right. know? Um, and so then... Um, I so then I knew like I wanted to do like theater and stuff like that or performance. I went to um, I, oh, so when I when I finally like graduated high school, went to community college for two years. There was like two years of just insane like just trying to avoid being home as much as I could. And I randomly became obsessed with um, with title of show. And they had it's like this really obscure musical that um, they they went to Broadway by going onto YouTube and saying that they were going to go to Broadway. And it was a musical about two faggots writing a musical, and it was them and their two best friends, and, like, four chairs, a keyboard, and that was the fucking musical. It was, like, meta, 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 meta. And it was a type of humor that is now very mainstream, but it was not then. And they were doing really weird, like, web content. Anyways, through that, I found... Um, like a bunch of weirdos like Jen Harris um, through like that whole like weave of online content and she was doing insane things online as well. Um, And at the same time, I, I think maybe through them and seeing Jen Harris's world, I found this video like the week it came out called "Sweat and time and this was in like two thousand eight, and it was Jeffrey Self and Cola Scola's first video together. And I was like, "What?" And I started following both of them, and they started. I mean, they were doing these videos called VGL Gay Boys, and it was just them in their apartment, on their fucking MacBook, just doing insane things that were really, um, irreverent and bizarre and really like just fucking hilarious. And, um, they got a logo show. And from what I know, they got this logo show by logo being like, we want you to be like, we want you guys to do like vlogger content for us. And instead of turning in vlogger content, they turned in a full season of, um, sketch comedy that they filmed for zero dollars on their MacBook and like the title sequences are like them holding up a notebook with the title on it and through that is where I found Aaron Markey who plays a, a gypsy at one point <laughs> and at her performance I was just like who is this person? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry them who is this person? I found them on YouTube and that is how I found our hit parade which was this, um, I think it started in 2009 or 2010, but it was basically like a variety show at Joe's Pub that lasted three or four years um, where they would do the top ten songs that month with all of these different cabaret or performing artists who would do their own weird spin on them. And that's when I found Bridget Everett, um, Aaron Markey, Molly Pope. Mm. And they were just doing all of these insane things and I I kept thinking like if there's a world for this then like that's where I have to be and I'd already visited New York once maybe twice and so after college um, knowing that I had already wanted to be in the city and that this audience existed I was like well obviously like that's where I have
0: to go. So before we go any further I do want to ask you something you know it's always going to be in vogue in the world that we live in um, especially among allegedly left-leaning gaze to kind of glamorize um, – uh, sorry, to demonize money, which means to say, like, you know, to kind of criticize privilege, especially when it relates to the arts, etc. But usually it's very surfacy. You, I feel – On an authentic level, I mean, I know about how much you despise the corporate world leading into (laughs) the gay world, but on an authentic level, I've always felt, especially in the example of uh, Jeffrey and Cole Casserole, you've always really had an eye for these are queer works that are made with no money and we need to celebrate it. And even if the only way we can watch it is blurry YouTube content because no one else will release it, we have to get in. And I'm just curious where that came from, how that's always been there. Because that, to me, is more authentic than just saying, like, oh, Lena Dunham has money. She sucks. For you, (laughs) it's more like, no, let's actually celebrate things that came out of nowhere. Right,
1: right. I don't know. I mean, I guess you... When you see something that, like, shakes you or that you just are enamored by, you want more of it. And the fact that these were just... Two faggots, like, well, one of my favorite examples is, like, one of their sketches, (laughs) like, you can't even call it a sketch, was called um, Shirts for Hair. And (laughs) they would do this thing that, like, when you're young, when you're, like, eight years old and you're in your own room and you're a faggot, what you would do is you would take your shirt kind of off... To where the crew neck of the brim is right (laughs) around your head, and you would just like whip it around, like and enjoy femininity in this really um, uninhibited way. And there was this sketch that they did that was like maybe twenty seconds long, that like had that little title sequence, and then it was just them doing that. Yeah. And I was like, God, that is so powerful. There's such an essence of. authentic queer experience in this in this package of like, um, a, a bunch of other examples, uh, the, the, just this full package of what you can do with absolutely nothing. And, um, it making
0: me emotional. I'm thinking about you know the first CD I ever had. My mom got me the Madonna Immaculate Collection, mm-hmm.
1: and I would just put it in the boombox alone right. in my room for hours. Yeah, I would give shows in my bedroom, mm-hmm. and and my my bedroom, you know. Well, I'm a cancer, and so what I've learned, what I've understood about cancers is that like. Their spaces are sacred. Right. We take everything from our lives and we shove them on the walls. And I also love organization, and I love to like have my little space. Yeah. And when I was a kid, it was survival. You know, it was to have my. It was to have the space that I felt safe, and um, and so to see some of that, which felt so deep and sacred, and and um maybe even like repressed to me as an adult, reflected in this very, you know, heightened type of comedy that was not popular at all no. back then. And it was it certainly wasn't in the mainstream. I was like, well these fuck these faggots are special. Yeah. And they had people like Bridget Everett and Aaron Markey, the, you know, and um Peep, Max Steele, you know, whose blog was like such a an an opening of a door for me, you know, when I was an RA in my third year of college before moving. So I don't know what it is that draws me to that. I just know that, um, I just know that it strikes me, you know, I'm, I'm like not, and maybe it has something to do with like, I'm, I'm very hear no evil, you no evil when it comes to like things that are incredible high production when you can like so clearly see that like neoliberal commercial scrim yeah. of things. It's just like I, I just have a feeling like and I miss out on a lot. I have a lot of cultural blind spots I think because of my like not like hiding from it but just like dismissal of it
0: well I always saw it as I think you're very sensitive I mean you are a cancer yes. but I always saw it as you're very sensitive mm. and to me it always seemed like you have an extremely sensitive bullshit radar mm. more so than just you're a snob and you don't like uh bullshit in the in the things you like but you don't want it to even invade your space
1: yeah yeah sure Yeah, I mean, a a funny example, since we're talking about it, is, like, you know, I fully missed out on Rihanna for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first time that I ever heard uh, Diamonds Mm -hmm. was Molly Pope singing it. and And if you know Molly Pope, (laughs) she's got this, like... She's got this... She sounds like she's a beltress from the 40s. Yeah. Um, And I remember... After me becoming obsessed with our hit parade, there were so many songs that I would hear in, like, bodegas or on the radio or something. And I'd be like, oh, that's what this is? (laughs) Because I had, like, only heard Bridget Everett or whatever singing it. But
0: listen, if you take the example of Diamonds, right? Diamonds was written by Sia in 15 minutes. Sia didn't want it. She sold it to Rihanna. Rihanna said sure. Rihanna released it. Whatever. It became a huge hit fine, I don't think it's Rihanna's going to go to her grave giving much of a shit about it. Totally. Then this kind of downtown diva extrapolates it and turns it into something really booming and uh, powerful and essential. Totally. And you get to kind of reverse engineer the experience yeah. of it from a pure and authentic live place yeah. and not this mass-produced studio hellscape. So totally. maybe that is the valiant... Not valiant, but the, the more magical way to, to yeah. encounter.
1: I also just like... I grew up with such a limited um, view of, like, pop culture, you know, because of how sheltered I was. Right. And so, like, the, the the music that I was, like, really into were, like, just singer-songwriters who were doing the smallest thing, you know? Like, right. if it's a singer-songwriter who just, like, has a piano or, like, a guitar, like, I, you know, the, I, it was, like, three or four of them that I was just into – because it was so pure, they were fully autonomous, mm. you know, um, in relation to, like, the commercial music, like, Dragon, you know? Right. Um, and so I so think... So we're thinking of
0: Selena Gomez. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Love You
1: Like a Love Song, truly changed my life, but truly loved that so love that song so much. I do love that song. very much. as a banger. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I don't know, maybe that has something to do with it. Okay, so...
0: When you arrive in New York, you're 24. I think 22. You're 22, yeah. and we're, what, like two years into Obama's presidency? Three or four yeah. years? Maybe. Yeah. We're about to enter yeah. second term, probably. I'm a, I
1: be, you know what? I might have just turned 23 because I moved August of 2011. So I was 23 years old. Great. Um, I, like, lived a month in East Harlem, and then I lived a month in Bushwick, um, and then lived in Harlem, in West Harlem, for five years. Wow. Yeah. I, I found a, a friend of back. a friend from college or whatever basically was moving to L.A. I took his room and it was it was so it was dirt cheap because they had a rent stabilized apartment.
0: God bless.
1: So for years, like when I had all of my friends and collaborators that were all in Brooklyn, I would be doing this insane like trek Usually, sometimes like in half shitty drag, like from Bushwick at like two in the morning, from like, or like from TNT in Williamsburg, yes. just all the way up to 125th. What are you gonna
0: do? I am always a bag lady. In <laughs> oh, New me York. too. Yeah, I have never not been. Never, yeah. never. Yeah, if I have not been, it's because my outfit for some reason, wouldn't allow for it. Again, because I'm half in drag. Yeah. And if that is the case, then I'm twice the bag lady because then I don't have pockets. I've made it somehow more complicated. Right. I cannot just be carefree.
1: Yeah. And, I, yeah. And it's when you... Like, it's a novelty to leave your house without anything. Oh, come on. I, it's... What is... Who is that? Vacation. It's a vacation. It's this weird, like... I don't know. But,
0: I honestly yeah. think that's the reason that's one of the reasons why we thrived a lot on Fire Island is because <laughs> you I don't need to carry fucking books and yeah. tupperware around yes. everywhere I go God, totally. and I can just be this like barefoot potato baby.
1: <laughs> 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 but, barefoot potato baby.
0: Yeah.
1: Heaven. That's my only yeah. Fans channel. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah.
0: okay, I'm so when you got here, how long did it take for you because I think For me, I, I of course, had a few friends when I came to New York who are still around, but I've cycled through quite a few. And there are a few years that I was I was thinking about it this morning where I was like, what happened when I was 25? Like, where was I? And it, it was all part of the journey, I understand, but it. Really takes a while for some of us to land here. Oh, totally. And I'm so curious about like how long it took for you to find your people or to be finding the things that clicked for you, totally. the nights that clicked for you, etc.
1: I mean, I, I always joke that I've lived <laughs> so many fucking lives. You in have. The city. You are an ancient one. Um, thank you. Even I though you're 31, that, <laughs> I take <laughs> thank you. I'm famously only 31. <laughs> um, as an ancient one, I take that with such uh as a, such a compliment from you. Yes. So thank you. Um i so I moved to the city at the and I already had a friend from high school who went to n y u uh whose theater company like she just like let me become like an intern or like a company manager Amazing. um for a show that was about like uh, it was about um Marilyn Monroe but also it was called nuclear love affairs and osgardrahimimi and um <laughs> And I remember uh, uh, Mara Wilson was Whoa. working, uh, the was a stage manager. And I remember being like, oh, wow, I've already made it. Like, my first month <laughs> in New York, hanging out with Mara Wilson, who was wonderful. Um, and then, but that's how I found Ars Nova. And I also, um, I met an incredible group of people because my first job was working in this uh, box office at Signature Theater. Um, And I just randomly met these, all of these other people that were my age who were similarly like recently out of school, making a bunch of really cool theater or doing different things within it. Um, And, and then about a year into moving here, um, this guy like basically like, Reached out to me on Twitter, which sounds way more official than it is. It was just this guy was like, "Who are you?" And I had no. We like followed each other. His name is Chris Tyler. Um, he now lives in L. A. And he basically like we started following each other. I thought he was super weird. We both had this weird. Um, love of conspiracy theories around pop music. We were oh, both into this thing called better. Vigilant Citizen, which is which was this website that was, like, talking about how the bad romance music video was, like, foretelling, like, a plague of, like... Like, a coughing plague that was going to be coming out of, like, Ukraine. Wow. And this whole thing. And we were... We just kind of, like, met and exploded around this insane thing. And um, he had this drag character named Ashley Nicole Smith, who was a thirteen year old <laughs> a thirteen year old Disney channel reject and um, he was like, I'm starting this monthly party called Total Rejects Live. and the idea is that every month we are going to take a an actual countdown from TRL and do it on its anniversary from like the early two thousands and um so I like he fully started it, but I was with him from the beginning and I was Jesse Sweeney Ashley Nicole's like best friend of me and um, and we <laughs> did it at TNT for two years wow. every month and it was a perfect place for like um, drag performers, cabaret artists, performance artists, musicians um, and it was like at a real specific, moment in like Brooklyn queer nightlife um, we ended up performing it at the public theater for under the radar um, and it was like so it was completely sold out it, it was such a moment and through all of these people that were doing these numbers at this show that was so wild like it would start at midnight we would say shows at midnight. It would always start at 1. By, like, 3 or 4 a.m., there would be, like, two more people. Like The only people that, like, did not perform in it that oh, night, Christ. there were, like, two more sitting on the disgusting floor of TNT, like, watching the last number. And there were, I mean, the people that came out of that, Tessa Scarab, you know, Bailey Williams, Alex Rodabaugh, Macy Rodman, Theta Hamill... Um, wow. <laughs> you know, Ma- Mars Holbrecker. um, they are this incredible tattoo artist, Glossy Bohemond, um, like real, real, oh my God, Jack Raymond, um, uh, John Sprandio, Ryan, you know, like there were so many, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a million. There's,
0: they're all, all of those names to me are so, um, only in New York. Yeah. Like, I, I wish the greatest success for everyone, and if anyone wants to leave New York and make a lot of money in L.A., yes. But they, they all have that um, that essence of, like, they you come to New York to see those kind of people. Sure,
1: sure. Yeah, and, like, I'll, I'm just going to describe really quick one moment that I will never forget, that I always try, always use as, like, an example, but Mars gave this performance that um, the, the number that they were assigned for this night was Toxic by Britney Spears. And I think it was like the number two or the number one. So they were like very, they were like last. And Mars had just gotten um, top surgery. And I think that they were like in transition. Anyways, Mars comes out in like super short shorts and a bomber jacket with this doll. And Toxic starts playing And Mars is, like, lip syncing, and Mars takes off the bomber jacket, and there are, um, uh, like, testosterone needles pierced through their, like, rib cages. They were, like, doing a lot of stuff like that, and was using the doll as, oh, the doll had um, Justin Timberlake's face on it. And then (laughs) starts doing this, like, voodoo thing at, like, 3 a.m. for, like, five people, and it was one of the most incredible... Performances and people were giving it. There was like fire. There was like obviously live drugs. Oh my God! Charlene came out of this obviously. Obvi- Without saying right, Charlene
0: famously Charlene famously injected herself with estrogen. Exactly. So, I mean, it's but that Char- yeah like, and that shamanic was after this. Yeah, yeah of course. But it's that sort of we are and and we've had moments like this like in spaces like the Vault where it's like oh we are in a teeny tiny space. Yeah. And there is a ritual going down. It can't be... You can
1: videotape it, but... The energy is... You can't, exactly. Completely crazy. Yeah.
0: And we just had... You know, on Fire Island, we were witness to... Poppy Juice uh, threw a party on the beach, and we were witness to Mm. West Dakota doing this insane kind of uh, ocean baptism drag. Unbelievable. it it's one of those things where... Of course, everyone videotaped it. There's a million pictures, but I can't describe that my conscious mind turned off and I just was following this person's every movement, and that's all I needed to be doing. Yeah.
1: And it just, that moment was really when I discovered how transcendent of an experience you can have with a fucking wig and like a prop you stole from your work. You know what I mean? Like, and um, so. All of those people and and me and and me maybe a little bit less so because I was fucking up in Harlem. But um, we were performing all the time at a bunch of people's different parties. Um, And about a year or maybe six months into this moment for me, um, I really wanted I had this idea for a solo show um, that was. You know, I, like, moved to New York, and I read On the Road, okay? I was a basic fucking mm-hmm. little faggot, you know. Right. I read Just Kids. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Let's not, yeah. There was one line in On the Road that talked about how Dean Moriarty, when he escaped prison in 1944, he was 19 years old, and he uh, worked as a gay sex worker under an alias yes. named Lee Boulier. And my whole show was me as Lee Boulier for that entire year. And it was me as a 1944 Hollywood faggot prostitute, like thinking that his frenemy was Shirley Temple and like always making fun of Shirley, like at all of the events and singing a bunch of like Ashley Simpson, Tom Waits, Mm. um, Cole Porter, (laughs) you know, like all of these, it was a full like solo cabaret moment. Um, that, you know, Chris was, like, such a champion of all the people that he brought together, and he brought people to come see that first showing of when I did it. Like, it blows my mind that, like, Macy was there and, and all of this stuff. And I, I did it three times, and a friend of mine, Jordan, who was also, like, coming to see all of that Nightlife stuff, saw it, um, and then... Uh, asked me to come and read for this musical that he was directing. He Jordan Fine, an amazing theater director and also assistant director for a lot of Broadway stuff, he brought me in and asked me to read for a few parts for a new musical he was directing called War Lesbian, starring... <laughs> yes, star, War Lesbian by Christine Herunilli, um starring Aaron Markey. Ooh. And I had been... Me like every single time I was stoned in college, I was showing people videos of Aaron Markey, of Bridget Everett, you know, of all these people.
0: You know, we just had Aaron, uh, Amber Martin in here, and you brought up this moment when you were you saw you and Jack Raymond saw her perform, and you found yourselves outside of Club Cumming smoking a joint, casually with
1: her. smoking a joint with and Amber,
0: and that happens. Um, and I I'm trying not to word this in a starfuckery way, but the amount of times that happens where someone you've worshipped for years, yeah. you suddenly are, like, li- just hanging yeah. out with yeah, or totally. doing something with, and it's it's without any effort. It just happens. Yes, The amount of times that happens here is that there's nothing oh, like it. It's, it's more wild. than in a movie. It's insane.
1: Also, I will say, I'm glad that you brought that up. I am not good at it when that happens. Um, you know, there are... Like, <laughs> I'm just... I don't have a chill bone in my body, and there are some people who I'm just like. I just know that I will never be friends with you because it wouldn't. I would never be able to loosen Certainly. up. But you know, people like um, Aaron Markey have become friends because I've been able to work with them, and you know, we like wrestled on stage at Dixon Place for three weeks. Like wow. I, you know, um, and they're amazing. You know. Um, anyways, so. So I did War Lesbian, and then Chris's friend, uh, Dakota Rose, um, who is the director for this incredible theater company on the Rocks Theater, uh, saw me in that, and they brought me in to do their first commissioned show, and I've done, like, five of them now, five different original shows with this theater company on the Rocks. And so, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of how... uh, how I, like, found the place, at least, like, artistically um, in the city, is just, like, through these kind of crazy experiences. And Lee Boulier, that solo show that I did, was kind of the thing that people saw, you know, that was, it was, it was like, I think a full hour show, you know, and I had written the whole thing and whatever, so people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Come do this thing, come do this thing.
0: How do you look back on your body of work so
1: far? Well... I I mean, there's... Lee Boulier was the main thing that I made fully and pretty much only myself. Um, I feel really happy to be, like, working and assisting the development of, like, these bigger theater pieces. Um, But I think that I really found something special in um, Buffalo Bailey, which is I met... Bailey Williams.
0: <laughs> Bailey Williams, who was at Stonewall, um, and possibly through the first brick. I mean, we we don't know. Absolutely. She may have also been at the
1: Compton cafeteria. She, she, she is talk about ancient ones. Buffalo Bailey, Bailey is older than all of us. Bailey and
0: she is the only white woman in America who will survive the rapture.
1: Absolutely. And <laughs> she deserves it. Um, she's if you, she's incredible. She's she's an, an unbelievable playwright. Um and we met because Chris Tyler was also doing like one of the last things that Chris did in New York before he moved was he was we we all had been obsessed with rent when we were kids and you know because you got to have something yeah what are you going <laughs> to do what are you going to do um and we did this like show that was about that for one of this commissions that he had and i think Bailey and i were both in relationships at the time and we both were it was very unstable for both of us. And I had a really awful breakup during that show. And um, I just remember thinking, like, watching her struggling in that relationship. And I was like, we're going to be friends. Mm. And she had been doing these insane... She had basically dedicated her entire social media to this character, Buffalo Bailey, which is this version of herself who decided to quit theater, move to the wild, wild Midwest and become a horse rancher uh, for gay horses. <laughs> and she had like – her Facebook status updates were long stories about like the disco ranch, the margarita machines at this gay horse ranch, her nine gay horses. That... And we basically like one time super drunk at Eric Sheather's birthday party. We were like, "We let's make this a play. And so we worked on it for two years. Um, with Alex Rodebaugh, and then later Jack Raymond, um, and it's a 90-minute timeshare presentation for a gay horse ranch in 2008. And uh, it's kind of about the mortgage collapse of like 2007, 2008, but it's mostly just like um, another gay fantasia on national themes.
0: And the what really makes it queer is it's about... It's tragic, because it's <laughs> about... <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's about... There's this sentiment of the world is going down, we're going down with it, but yeah. we're going to commit, and that's the that's the faggotry aspect of it. It's we are going to do this for ninety minutes, <laughs> and we're not gonna we're not gonna break. The, like, of course, it's satirical and it's extremely self aware, but. The gay horses in Buffalo are in it to win it until the end. <laughs> right.
1: Until yeah. there's nothing left. Right. They're dancing as hard as they can because they are selling the timeshare of a lifetime. Yes. Um, and now uh, Bailey and Alex and I, uh, we went and did a residency for this next show that we're doing last May. Uh, and we're doing a presentation of like 20 minutes of it in October uh, and it's about our cult that we're starting. An apocalypt cult. Apocalypse a cult. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's IWOW, the international uh, waiters who are waiting. Um, we, and it's about how we left the city to go work at um, a macaroni grill uh, in Pennsylvania to really just like stew and like, you know, create the manifesto. <laughs> Um, as we wait for the return of um, the queer comet that will save us before the climate change oven uh, cooks the world. Queer
0: apocalypse is something that comes up a lot with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially during Pride season. I felt like Pride season was really a big apocalyptic (laughs) market for you.
1: I mean, you were seeing me at my fucking like wits end with pride this year, you know.
0: Uh, Derek, uh, we haven't done one yet, but we are all looking forward to Derek will be hosting flag burnings, a fan burning, fan burnings. Yeah, I'm sorry. We, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I thought it was. I mean, but also, rainbow like,
0: flags if, can be thrown in the fire. you need to
1: bring them, but I, if I hear another fan clack from a fucking white gay, I just will. Yeah, it's. I will murder.
0: On Fire Island too. It was like oh my god, they're playing ABBA. Can you put
1: please, yeah. <laughs> please get out of my goddamn face during the ABBA suite?
0: Yeah, it was a medley. I know, and they we, do it was, it every was amazing. Time. It was amazing. Um, yeah, the, there's yeah. for me. Pride this year's Pride was tricky because. It was such an easy shot for any Twitter gay to take that actually for uh, to get a funny take on the kind of demonic corporate blah blah blah, like, blah, 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 it's very rare. And yours was just, I-, I felt like you were the person I could always turn to for a laugh because you were just <laughs> like, what? You-, you were already defeated, basically. Totally. You were just like a withered husk on the beach, just <laughs> like, I don't care. They can bomb me. They have drones. Right. And, of course, you know, Happy Prime was one of your... Happy
1: Prime, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like um, I went to New York Pride once with, like, my first New York boyfriend. And I remember being like, I'm never doing this again. The amount yeah. of cops are yeah. horrific. And and I just feel like... You know, like, after Pulse, um, I was actually with... With Bailey and Alex, we were. it was, like, the day before we were going to go on our first residency for Buffalo Bailey um, was the, the day after Pulse happened. And we were standing in front of Stonewall for, like, the unofficial kind of, like, uh, it wasn't, like, the city vigil. It was just, like, people were just gathering around Stonewall for this. And there were, like, 20 cops all lined up holding and, like, putting together their... Automatic rifles. You know, they're AK, whatever. And I remember just being like, Jesus Christ. And and now for me, like, all of these events, all of these, like, big festivals, even if they're queer as fuck, I'm just like, I, you know, if cops are going to be there, I just don't care.
0: And famously, of course, after Pulse, the, the official vigil who spoke, but... Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: oh, yeah. Honestly, like, the crowning glory of my time in New York, if there's anything that I can contribute, it was... New York City invited Nick Jonas to speak at the official Pulse Vigil,
0: and not we're not talking years later. We're talking days after the people days are shot after. to death.
1: Okay, and this was also he had been doing promotion on all of these like gay things because he had an album coming out.
0: Yeah, so this was when he was doing like Attitude Magazine, exactly. Okay, like really, he low, was like low. on the
1: cover of whatever, yeah. and and I was true. I was with Alex. I was so fucking angry and I screamed out like he was like reading whatever and I screamed out fuck you Zach Efron <laughs> like and it was very quiet like people were really listening. <laughs> we all heard. <laughs> and these two women behind me were, were like um can you just give him the space to do this and I was like his album is coming out a week <laughs> from now and then there was this next moment where he was like. He was like, When I look out into this audience, I see and I screamed out, You see money. Like re and you know. Yeah.
0: Listen, you know, Ryan Leach, uh who is I think the funniest gay person. Oh, he's incredible. And I think is the probably one of five very funny gay people on yeah. Twitter. Anyways, he um he recently posted, like, God, you know, I'm I'm remembering with fondness. Uh, at the Pulse vigil, when someone said "fuck you, Zac Efron," and I remember being like, "Oh, so not only is this a thing that I remember personally experiencing, it's oral history of New York now." And I knew it was you. I was right. like, "It's I will have Alzheimer's and know that it was." Derek. I am ready Who to else? retire.
1: Yeah, it's one. I honestly, I was shaking. I was truly shaking because I, you know, I've learned now about myself at thirty-one that from other people telling me this and me not realizing it about myself, that I do speak up. Like, you know, I can think of myself, I often, like, I often constantly put all my my fiercest loved ones around me. Mm -hmm. I put on a pedestal. Everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I constantly think of myself as this, like, shriveled person, but I fucking speak up. And I didn't even realize this about myself until, like... The past six months, you know, and I didn't even realize that, it, but it just happens. But I remember standing there shaking.
0: You just give me chills because I'm the exact same. I've gaslit myself into thinking that I'm invisible and it's like, no, actually people have been listening right. the whole time. Yeah. People have truly been listening. And I actually am. I always think this. I'm like, what do I have to say? Right. Or I used to tell myself. um, Well, I can't be a writer because, like, nothing's really happened to me. And, like, I don't really Uh, have anything to say. And it's like, I am the most opinionated person I know. Right. I am. Yeah. And there are things that kill me. So I'm like, this is all bullshit, like, mommy stuff. But, yeah, it's ridiculous. It is
1: mommy stuff. Yeah. And it's, but it's also a very queer thing. Yes. If I can say it here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. That makes me... Happy by myself but but I will say you were talking earlier about like the, like the apocalypse obsession which like um comes from the fact that my parents and especially my father's family are like survivalists like for Same. sure yeah um yeah something happened when uh, I like went home for for a friend's wedding in like I think it was 2015 um and on the day before I was supposed to come back to New York, I, like, took, like, a solo hike on, like, my favorite, like, you know, um, trail in, on this literal mountain in the Bay Area. And I did the dumbest fucking thing you could do. And I jumped off of a big rock that I thought I'd be fine, shattered my ankle, and I wound up having to be in my childhood home, like, literally bedridden on the couch with my parents for six weeks, and at the end of six weeks of like smoking my weight in marijuana every <laughs> single day because I didn't want to take like the pain meds, um, <laughs> or the pain of or, being with your family, or the pain of the absolute in insanity home. of being in my childhood home. like it's maddening, it's absolutely. Maddening, yeah. And the week before I was supposed to go back to New York, my parents sat my sister and I down and was and were like. Okay, so um, your uncle, your uncle has told us that there is a blood moon coming and we don't know, you know, but just to be safe, it has been said that it might foretell the collapse of the economy and of the American dollar. And they gave me two hundred dollars in silver coins. (laughs) So, like, this is where it comes from, you know, like. Yeah, there's.
0: But you know, it's in so my brother who's in the NRA is also he thinks he like all I think straight men who are in Republican world I think he thinks if something bad happens he'll be Batman and mm. he'll be the one who saves the day, yeah. and he is always asking me what how are you getting out of New York how are you going to make it back to Texas when things crash yeah. do you have a safe house right. all of that stuff and. I think something about being queer, and you're the one who gave me my first copy of The Faggots and Their Friends Between Revolutions, is we are like, let it all burn, we'll, we'll, we, that's true, queer survivalism is, I don't care, let it burn, let me starve, let's watch it happen, we will always rebuild, then this kind of straight survivalism is... No, I'm going to defy the odds and right. I'm going to be the one who survives it.
1: while they all burn.
0: No, the, the we're ab- all going down together. Absolutely. Yeah. The
1: absolute hubris of that is completely it's unbelievable. I know. Um I the thing that I'm most grateful for about being queer is the experience of you know, you can analyze why or whatever, but when we're young, we see all of the structures of society, and we see all of the you know laws that it's abiding by, and we understand immediately that this is a house of cards. We understand right. immediately that all of this, from like the switch of whatever, it will fall, and we are watching that happen now as we're watching you know Trump's administration just be able to be like, hmm, no, we're not going to follow those rules, right? Because that's all it takes, right? Right, and it's just. Um, It's so funny, like, we know that, like, through the collapse, whether it's, you know, global warming or whether it's, you know, the economy or whatever, the Earth is going to survive. The Earth is kicking us off, you know, and we don't stand a chance. We we know our place, right? you know. We're either going to go down or we're not, you know. Um, And so, yeah, it's just funny, like, I... I have thought like, oh, what would I do? And I was like, you know what? I bet I would find some like really cool people in Prospect Park. <laughs> yeah, to <the band laughs> you know of I mean? cashmere. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, go like make a fire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just set up. For Eat a whatever vegan happens. lifestyle, yeah. you know. Like, oh my god, I'll get so thin. <laughs> there's well, some tan. goats there. Oh, are there? Yeah, there's still some goats there. Have you heard about like all of those goat heads that they keep finding in Prospect Park? No. It's because of. Um, Witchcraft.
0: I was hoping, yeah. that it was some Capricorn devil shit. Yeah, I love it's that.
1: yeah. There's like um, there's like a very popular uh, ritual or spell about like making people exit out of your life who have who've like made you suffer, who are toxic, that have to do with. Uh, I heard about it on a podcast. You know, this may be you know, it's sort of incorrect, but it has to do with that and. There are places in New York City where you can get goat heads, and so they've been like finding them a lot as the resurgence of the occult has kind of come back with like astrology and witchcraft right. and all that stuff. Um, because you have to put it into like a natural reserve, like that's what it takes. Isn't that wild? I love. That's what I, I love. I
0: know. So you, uh, more so than me, you've really done a lot of research into. The history of gay New York, Mm. gay sexual history, the eras. And I'm just so curious, like, as opposed to the 70s, as opposed to all the kind of dark or golden ages, like, what do you think about the age we're in? Is this a dark age? Is this a golden age? Because in some ways, there's so much that's resurging. Mm. There's so much freedom. A lot of that, I think, has to do with prep. But, you know, like, there are moments, like I was just even saying about Poppy Juice on the beach, where I'm like... We do have these Garden of Eden experiences, but also we are in Happy Prime World. And I'm just so curious, like, after everything you've learned, after all the archiving you've done, after all the reading you've done, like, how do you place this moment?
1: I mean, I think the split that you just described is this, like, weird dichotomy of experience. Because... First of all, New York City, right? Like, you can split New Yorkers into two different ways. Like, people who moved here because of Sex in the City, you know? Right? Like, which is, and, and I mean that as, like, a metaphor for a lot of different things, yeah. right? The people or who moved here
0: because of Sex in the City reruns on E, which were edited out.
1: Right. <laughs> How about that? Sure. But, but also, um, I, I just feel like there are two sectors of the gay experience right now, especially in New York. And it's like people who are wanting to make a change, be a part of a change, find some shred of, and I know this is a difficult term, but like authenticity within this really scary Disney facade that exists. We are lucky that yes, New York is much safer now for some, but you know, like, it makes it a lot harder for undergrounds to thrive. And I'm really, like, happy that I've gotten to see aspects of that and be a part of those. But when I think about, like, what's happening, when this is gonna... Okay, actually, I feel safe talking shit about Midtown and talking shit about Hell's Kitchen because you have one of the greatest takedowns of Hell's Kitchen that I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. I love (laughs) it. It was... It truly... Healed me really, but I think what that, is like, it? Well, it was you, t- it was you on that podcast that was the awkward dating stories. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was so amazing, and I just think that, like, I it's I think that if you are existing only within the world of circuit parties and within the world of midtown, you there's a lot that you're missing um and i don't judge that i think like if you've found a space that is your haven like don't you know make it yours but you are with a very specific class of people yes and i have always um i've i've always you know one of the reasons why i respect chris tyler so much and this like trl thing that we did together. One of the reasons I'm so happy that I was there is because there were so many different types of people, and I was—I mm. always knew when I was a kid that when I imagined what my life would be, I knew that all of the all of the hell that I went through living at home, I knew that I was going to learn so much more by going to another place, and New York City has been always where I've wanted to expand my mind and my experience mm. and that means being with other people. My entire life, my my parents were not people who told me what to read or told me what to look at or or suggested culture. It were it was the older people around me who were like, "Oh, you should like check this out." And I've always depended on the community to do that for me. Yeah. And for me like with those values, I want the widest experiences possible. Yeah,
0: You know, a lot of this is going to be borrowing from Ramsey Fawaz, who's uh, who's a comic scholar, but um, when the X-Men in the 70s go to space mm. during the Dark Phoenix saga, they're all in their costumes. You have Storm, you have Colossus, who's in his Russian gymnast look, Wolverine, Jean Grey. Okay. They land in the spacecraft of the Shi'ar, where everyone is a full disco alien fantasy with people with multiple limbs, all these different colors. Okay one of the alien creatures sees the X-Men and goes, aliens, which means to say to them, the X-Men who are already freaks on Earth are aliens. So you're now in a full... It it I'm getting goosebumps even talking yeah. about it, but there's just this sense that it's never going to end and that there is no us or them and that right. it's always expansion right. and discovery and yeah. disco. Oh, and that's what's fuck. amazing. And like when you were talking about that, I was like, yeah, he you want to keep searching and keep discovering and never stagnate yes
1: oh my god yeah I I am um, why are you living in New York if you're just here to you know stay to to, to just keep at the same pace you know yeah. like I or like I guess you could say like why are you doing that anywhere but um, specifically New York like you know I, I just don't understand why you would want to come here and like go to Duncan and you know like, Yeah, I I don't know. So in terms of now that you have more kind of
0: uh, contemplative time, I mean, I know it's relatively fresh, but you're working on the new show with Bailey, etc. I'm just curious, like, in terms of what you want to be exploring or the sorts of projects you want to be pursuing, what's what's unanswered
1: or what's making you curious? I appreciate that question. I haven't, um, because it's so new, I there's I haven't done a lot of, um, like, deep thinking about it. But I am really excited to, especially in preparing for this episode, I went back and I did a lot of, um, like, looking at, like, the whole experience of being in New York. And it reminded me so much of the, uh, of what I was able to do before all of the before the job and before even like working full-time anywhere and i'm really excited to just be able to like say yes to doing uh developmental play readings to like being in shows to writing my own shit again and like (laughs) getting up on open mic stages and like singing weird songs um i i you know Lee Boullier is something was so special to me and when I look back on it I, I always think oh, that was a piece of shit but then I actually recently read it and I was like oh fuck like <laughs> I love this and so I'm really inspired to just start making a lot more and doing a lot more collaborations because my favorite part of the artistic process is like being in a room with people who are great and just like putting something together you yeah. know like it's that's the best part of it I you know Yes. So I don't know, just more of that and then more writing. And um, I'm lucky that I have a lot of time to, you know, to bring those things in.
0: So people can follow you on what is officially (coughs) now. Honestly, last two weeks ago, Ruby McAllister changed her handle. Fuck. So you now have the last great social media handle. What do you mean? Well, Ruby's was aspiring 3-2-3 act- oh, actress. Oh, she changed it? She changed it. That's iconic. Ruby.McCollister, and we celebrate oh, that, and we're we with her every step of the way. Yeah. But you now have the the final great handle. You know, yeah. you're the last survivor.
1: You're well, the last one with oh, okay. a great Twitter and Instagram okay. handle. Okay, thank you. Because I've always been like, cause, you know, because this show, we we wrapped it like a year ago, I guess. And But I'm, a, I'm a, at Gay Horse Derek, and I guess I'll never change it. You know, on if, Twitter if you and Instagram. do, we'll
0: support it, but Gay Horse Derek is... Yeah. And, of course, on Twitter, your name for a while was, I can't believe my name is Derek Smith. Derek Smith. Smith. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I, it, my, my handle used to be Derek Sasquatch because I just, like, can you... Like, my last name is Smith. Like, that's <laughs> fucking crazy. You know? People... When I tell people, some sometimes they think that it's an alias. And I'm like, oh, no. Like...
0: I know. Yeah. Sometimes when I've been introduced on stage, especially, like, when I was go-go dancing at Be Cute and oh. Charlene would be like... David
1: Goldberg. I would just be like, what the fuck? You can, it's like dissociating from it's yourself. bizarre. Right? It's so strange. It's just, I'm like, that's
0: my name?
1: I do really like not being easily Googleable. Google-able oh, that's know? interesting. Yeah, like there, there's a nice anonymity there. But also, Ooh. I feel like now, if you do Google me or if you Google me hard enough, like you will find photos of me pretending to snort cocaine as Dakota Fanning like on the floor of TNT for TRL (laughs) or like the whole era when I was like lugging my um, shitty Yamaha keyboard from like Harlem to like Metropolitan to do a (sighs) dumb show as like a quick set as Lee Bollier. You know what I mean? Like you'll find all of these haunting photos that will never let me become a politician. Thank God. Thank God. Um, Yeah.
0: You're going to... Unfortunately, your dreams of joining the Budujej uh, <laughs> dynasty.
1: Before we leave, can I just say Budujej 2020, you guys? Budujej and Chastan! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Live, love, love, Chastain. Yes. Um, well, Derek Smith, this has been. Oh I feel God. like I'm high. This you has are been a, a day. dream.
1: You are one of my favorite people. Likewise. Like, this needed to happen. Yeah. Thank you. Thank uh, you so much for having love me. Love you with all my heart. Thank you for being you here. You too. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of The Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five star rating on iTunes write a glowing encomium share it on your instagram stories email it to your aunt joan and help make this series bigger and better with every episode thank you for listening and let's grow together see you next tuesday bye bye